0: is the anthem of the adventurer the show for men who are tired of forsaking their dreams who are willing to risk to dare
1: greatly and know in their soul that their desire for adventure is good it's time to venture into the wild places in our hearts
0: here's your host dan saner
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Anthem of the Adventurer. I'm your host, Dan Zahner. Hope you're having a great day. Looking forward to sharing another amazing interview with you. Just a reminder, a little announcement here. You've probably heard it on the past couple of episodes, but to reiterate, this iteration of the podcast is coming to a close very shortly. (laughs) The next uh, few episodes will be the last you're going to hear from us for Most likely all of 2022. So, do not despair. Don't fret. Don't throw your favorite podcast uh, device out the window. (laughs) Uh, My team and I are not going anywhere. Uh, We're just focusing on writing for the next year. So, uh, I'm going to be working on my first book. Uh, Natalie and Armando and Jeff are going to continue to be writing on the blog and all of our monthly adventure challenges. And it's still going to continue to be awesome and amazing. You just won't be hearing any audio from us for a while uh, while we focus on producing the book together. So uh, we might be re-releasing some old episodes that you can enjoy later. Feel free to go back into the back catalog or explore some other podcasts for this year that uh, we love and recommend from some of our former guests, like Ann Sons, made by uh, Sam and Blaine Eldridge, or the Wild at Heart podcast from uh, John Eldridge and Alan Arnold and their team. Uh, Become Good Soil from Morgan Snyder, uh, the Dad Edge podcast with with Larry Hagner, um, lots of other great options out there. And uh, yeah, check those out while we're on uh, our little hiatus, and we'll be back with something really special in 2023. Okay, so with that out of the way, today we have Josh Guerrero, who thank you, Troy Magnum, for the uh, great introduction to this guy. Um, He grew up in rural Michigan, kind of out in the middle of nowhere, Um, just had a passion for adventure and discovery that led him into a career in the Marines, and when he finished his service there, actually got into an organization helping veterans transition into a new mission in civilian life through, of all things, (laughs) archaeology. Uncovering the mysteries of people who have gone before by digging it up. So that organization is called AVAR, or American Veterans Archaeological Recovery. That's a bit of a mouthful, but <laughs> they go all over the world to amazing dig sites and uh, help American veterans, uh, servicemen and women get a new purpose in life through discovery and archaeology. So cool. And you're going to really enjoy this talk with Josh Guerrero about that mission and his adventure adventure called the Wolverine Walk, where he's actually getting ready to finish that up here in December. Um, Basically walking all across Michigan, (laughs) about uh, 1,100 miles, if I I remember correctly. And just a really amazing adventure. And he's raising funds for Avar. So you can check out his links on his Instagram bio um, for his GoFundMe for Avar. That supports his mission there. And it would be really great to support this guy, everything that he's going on. So, without further ado, Josh Guerrero. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Anthem of the Adventurer. Super excited to bring to you a new friend that I mean, we met on Instagram or something, didn't we, Josh? (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, recently we were connected by a mutual friend of ours because, you know, both of our brands are kind of sort of in alignment talking about similar things.
1: That's so. what it was. It was through Troy. Troy's been connecting me to a bunch of guys lately. So uh, Josh Guerrero, good to have you today. Nice to meet you. Looking forward to getting to know you better, man.
0: Yeah, I've been looking forward to this. You know, it's always great to connect with uh, like-minded people and, of course, fellow adventurers, too, you know, to kind (laughs) of sort of swap stories and kind of, you know, just uh, feed that adventure bug uh, a little bit more and getting us out and doing more
1: amazing things. Absolutely. Um, So before we jump into who you are, what you're about, what you're up to, um, I'd like to set the stage with a challenge. So what is something that we can do after this goes live to incorporate some more adventure in our lives?
0: Right. Well, I think my challenge to our listeners today is to do that thing that you've been holding off for a very long time due to fear. And I know we and and anyone who just heard me say that something like, you know, comes to mind that there is something that they want to do, that they're afraid of doing it for whatever reason. Maybe that fear is. You know, asking out that girl at the coffee shop that you think is beautiful and you want to meet her, and you're afraid of rejection, or maybe you're afraid of being rejected um, by your boss, but for asking for that promotion, whatever it is that you're afraid uh, you're afraid of that you've been holding off of, just go ahead and do that because. <laughs> If you do not capitalize on that, if you let that fear take you over, you're going to go through the rest of your life asking yourself, what if? And I tell you, that has to be a terrible burden to take with you all the way uh, to the end. So whatever it is that you're holding off due to fear, get over that fear and just go do it. I I love that because
1: I chuckle because I'm doing that right now where... For the longest time I've been, you know, reluctant to talk to my wife about replacing our, our dearly beloved old Subaru Outback with something a little more reliable. And you know, it's a big thing. Like, we've never bought a new car ever, and we're probably still not going to, but it's we're looking at spending about three times more than we ever have on a on a vehicle. And it's like, what's holding me back? Like it's not crazy. Like we can put it, we can fit it in the budget. We can probably fit in the garage (laughs)
0: Uh, take out a tape measure first maybe yeah yeah i actually (laughs) probably
1: should do that but you know it was like what's what's the big deal and then we got into this conversation and we're thinking of like okay so if anybody out there is listening and you happen to own an old toyota 4 runner or the lexus equivalent shoot me a message (laughs) (laughs) because you know we we came to think like okay we love our our old land rover which uh if you're watching this on youtube you'll see behind me. but it's not reliable; it gets us places when it works, which is not always,
0: but it needs to work first in but order to actually to work. get there
1: <laughs> and 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 we love our old outback, but it's got two hundred and four thousand miles on it. We're about to decide do we put a timing belt in it and commit to it for another fifty thousand miles, or do we get something that we're not going to have to do a bunch of expensive maintenance on it for quite a long time so yeah, so that's that was that was the kind of you know. Hair-raising, gut gut-wrenching fear that I've been jumping into lately.
0: Oh, <laughs> well, you know, as they say, all good things, you know, must come to an end. Even like you know, those vehicles that clearly has served you well. It's been a lot of places with yeah. you. You know, a lot of memories were made uh, using uh, that amazing machine. But unfortunately, you know good things always have to come to an end at some point in time Yeah, as and
1: tough as it is, but it is yeah. tough. But the cool thing is the conversations that have come out for our whole family around this have been, wow, we really love our old Rover. Like, but my son I think loves it even more than I do, which is saying something. And he was so sad when we talked about the possibility of selling both cars to get something nicer and newer. And he's like, but, but dad, then we won't get to do a YouTube channel about me being a kid mechanic. And I'm like, <laughs> wow. We haven't done that yet, by the way, mm. but, <laughs> but I'm like, that's actually a really good idea.
0: That's actually a pretty brilliant idea. I and like then,
1: that. You know, and then my wife got into it. It was like, oh, how expensive would it be to keep the Land Rover? As long as we don't drive it like peanuts, you know, as long as I'm not putting parts into it, it can sit in the driveway and we don't, the insurance is not expensive. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it got us thinking, well, yeah, we could just, Keep the rover as a as a you know kind of hobby car and and not daily drive it, and then get something else that we can essentially just go down to one car family for a while for all intents and purposes. And uh, so we were like, okay, what's what's the best combination of both our cars? So sort we're of like a forerunner, where I found out that yeah, the uh, Lexus GX460 is that but more comfortable.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you're probably looking for a bigger, more robust vehicle. Um, yeah. Well, certainly probably bigger, bigger than your Outback. It sounds
1: yeah, like. Cause we've got three kids and yes, they can fit sandwiched in the, in the back of the Outback, but it would be, be nice to have three rows so we can, you know, sure. Yeah. Physically distance them a little bit. Cause they, you know, tend to tend to fight.
0: (laughs) And it's, it's also, yeah. Also a vehicle they can grow into, you know, a little bit. Well, yeah, more too. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, you know, and this is kind of where we're at and it's kind of cool of like, I mean, my wife is amazing in so many ways and I'm just so grateful that this conversation has led to her encouraging me to buy a truck. (laughs) Like most spies would like, oh, I want a minivan. She's like, I don't want a minivan ever. Go get a forerunner.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I doubt you could really, you know, slug it out in the wilderness too much with a minivan. So, I mean, well, you could, you might not get too far
1: though. You would get very, very stuck very, very quickly. <laughs> um, you know, so, some of the trails that we'll get, we'll get to talking about trails in different senses here in a bit with some of the adventures you're up to but like i really want to do another trip like a couple years ago we went on the trans wisconsin adventure trail uh which you know it's pretty mild by off-road standards but for the midwest it's kind of cool where you're going off you know atv trails and forest service roads and i remember seeing so many little pull-offs in the northern reaches of wisconsin like oh i wonder what's down there and we didn't get to go because a friend was following me in his Nissan Murano and would have gotten stuck.
0: Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, that's an unfortunate missed opportunity. Um, uh, right there, but then, you know, I mean, there's uh, always that curiosity. It's like, yeah, what is down those, like those little, uh, pull offs, uh, you know, right there. And so, I mean, you know, I just think as, as humans, uh, you know, we're curious by nature and we've been like that ever since the beginning, you know, if you think about like our ancient ancestors who would, you know, like leave their caves and see the sunset over this, uh, big, mountain in front of them thinking what's on the other side of that mountain or for people when they reached uh, you know the coast for the first time and what you know <laughs> yeah they see this massive body of water and then once again see the sun uh, set over uh, the water and then thinking can I build something that can float on this thing? Mm -hmm. So yeah, curiosity just, you know, has driven us um, very far, you know, throughout millennia. So, and, uh, and some, who knows, maybe that curiosity will pull you back to those trails and see what's down to uh, some of those turns that you didn't make it to yet.
1: Yeah. Curiosity. And also it's more interesting. Like uh, a friend of mine has challenged me to for as long as possible go without flying. And we just got back from a road trip to Florida Mm win a rented car because the rover clearly would not have made it um but but it was like oh man we really do need something for that has three rows so that we can go visit our friends in utah we can go visit our friends in oregon and go off-roading along the way and be confident that we won't break down on the side of the road somewhere right (laughs) so okay oh man That, that went down a bit of a tangent but Who is Josh Guerrero? What is he about as we get into the adventures that you're about to embark on?
0: Well, you know, I guess um, I guess I'll go back to uh, the beginning a little bit, um, I suppose, and uh, just give you kind of more of the cliff notes. It's a very long story, the story of Josh Guerrero, but here's some of the highlights. Uh, you know, grew up in a small town in rural Michigan, and I'd mean pretty small, Dan, like uh, 1,100 people. Everybody knows everybody. There's not a traffic light uh, in the small town uh, at all, and technically we're actually considered a village, uh, not not really a town. And uh, you know, you got to be careful who you ask out on a date, in the this- small town because, you know, the you all might be related (laughs) in some way. So, uh, you know, be careful, uh, with, with that. And, uh,
1: you bring your family tree to the first date and compare notes
0: (laughs) It says, where do you fall in here? If at all,
1: right. Uh, you gotta be at least a third cousin or something, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah. And so, um, kind of like that's growing up, uh, you know, I spent a a lot of time outside, um, my, my family and I, we lived on a dirt road, um, you know, and I would always just, uh, play like adventure games or, you know, cops and robbers with, uh, you know, my siblings and my cousins, uh, growing up. And then, um, of course, eventually again, going back to what we were talking about with curiosity, I was kind of thinking, you know, what else is out there? You know, we got our small town, we got our, um, uh, good community here. And so I started thinking about, um, expanding outward, um, a little bit. And, uh, one of the ways I did that was by joining the military, uh, mm. right out of high school, and I mean, literally right. i um, out of high school and I'm talking three weeks after I walked across the stage at oh, high geez. school graduation, I was on a plane to San Diego, California for Ooh. Marine Corps boot camp. All right. So, Thank uh, you your service. yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So while the rest of my peers were just living it up, like during the summertime, getting, getting ready to getting go to college in the, in, in, in the far. Cap. Yeah. I was getting, I was getting whooped uh, in San Diego by these really super duper intense, uh, uh, dr- Marine Corps drill instructors. And, uh, but you know, there was, uh, many reasons why I I've uh, made that decision. Um, You know, of course, like I said, I did mention the adventure aspect and, you know, getting out of my hometown and seeing what else is out there, but I graduated in high school in 2004. And then as we know uh, three years uh, before that though, our country was attacked Mm -hmm. and that really kind of solidified my decision in stone that I was going to join the military right out of high school, you know, because At the time, uh, when I was a sophomore, when it had had happened, you know, there was think the thoughts were going through my head as to what I'd want to do afterwards if I'm going to go to college and or, or things like that and I was certainly had good enough grades to go to college no problem but yeah but after um we were attacked that day the decision became very clear it's like yep I'm joining the military and not only that I'm going to join the Marine Corps because the Marine Corps has the reputation to be in the roughest and toughest branch uh, that we have and you know you're going to probably get like some some badass like Navy SEALs and uh, Army Green Berets that are going to probably You know, (laughs) you want to rebuttal me on on that. Um, You know, it's it's all in good fun. You know, the jabs that the different branches poke at each other, but you know, still one team, one fight. So, yeah, I joined the Marine Corps uh, right out of high school, served for four years. Um, I ended up uh, getting out of the Marine Corps to go back to college, uh, initially pursuing elementary education. And uh, got my bachelor's uh, degree in that. And that led me to West Africa for two years wow. where I uh, served as a Peace Corps volunteer cool. um, and doing some educational work in a remote uh, village in The Gambia. The uh, Gambia is uh, a really small country and um, right along the Atlantic coast uh, in West Africa. It's actually the smallest country on the entire continent. And wow. uh, so that's probably why a lot of people haven't heard of and probably why some of our listeners are like, The Gambia, you know, where the the hell's that, right?
1: (laughs) Bringing out their atlas.
0: Yeah, yeah, just uh, just type it in on Google Maps and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. And so I was there for two years. And then I kind of had a little bit of a paradigm shift because initially the plan was go to West Africa for two years, come back and be a teacher. Cause that's what I had gotten my degree in, but there's this saying that I absolutely love and it certainly held true, uh, for this adventure. And it's that he who returns from an adventure is not the same as he who had left. And, uh, cause I changed quite <laughs> yeah. a bit. And, uh, after being, ha- after having that experience, I decided to pursue, uh, anthropology and wow. I, um, Zoomed in and uh, specialized in field archaeology. Somebody and, watched Indiana Jones as a kid. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, the, I definitely <laughs> love those movies. Uh, you know, growing up and the Uncharted franchise. Let's not forget. Oh that too. man, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, and then um the th- the decision to pursue that that led me to the University of York in Northern England, and um, cool. I d- yeah I did a one year uh, master's degree program in field archaeology. Um, graduated there. And then once I returned to the States uh, following that experience, I, Spent four years working as a professional archaeologist, first with the Forest Service um, out west in states like uh, New Mexico, uh, Colorado, and California, and then I just recently wrapped up a three and a half year long stint with uh, the Park Service uh, based in uh, Tallahassee, Florida. Wow. And you know that led me to do field work all along, uh, you know, the Southeast coast in states like North Carolina, Georgia, Florida. Of course, also did some work out in Mississippi and. Uh, and yeah, so that's uh, kind of what I've uh, pretty much been doing. I guess that's um, Josh Guerrero in a nutshell, that's I awesome. suppose.
1: <laughs> did Did you find the origins of the Florida man while you're exploring the southeast?
0: The okay, the origin of the ornament man. I don't think that one's come across. I've so certainly the, heard many stories the about cari- the skunk the, ape. Just you know? the
1: caricature of of the typical Floridian. I, this is what I'm referring to, I'm slightly pokey fun at Florida, but. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know the the guy who goes out and waving an American flag in the middle of a hurricane with with just his boxer shorts on. You know that kind of guy.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, we, we have those, but I mean, yeah, it's just if, Tallahassee is not really the place where you see a lot of hurricanes. I don't know if, I, if uh, there'd be many people in Tallahassee um, doing stunts like that. I'm sure there are, um, you never know, but I, I think like the main, like, uh, kind of sort of stuff I heard about, like, uh, with Florida is like when I was in South Florida doing field work and big Cypress, uh, national preserve, you know, they had like, uh, the stories of like the skunk ape, you know, this big smelly bigfoot like creature. Oh, you know, yeah. in there. So, uh, so I Picked up a little bit of cryptozoology. Oh, cool! <laughs> while I was while while I, while I was uh, down there. Uh, so, but yeah, that's probably about the the, the extent of it, though. Because I mean, Florida has like so many tourists, so it's kind of sometimes hard to like you know de- decipher. Okay, who's uh, a native Floridian and who is uh, you know just kind of passing by, so to speak.
1: <laughs> yeah, that makes it you know an interesting. Challenge from an anthrop- anthrop- anthropological standpoint. Man, I can't even say that word.
0: Yeah, try saying that five times fast, right?
1: right? <laughs> so now you're getting out of out of the anthrop- anthropology world. What's next for you?
0: Well, it's um, I'm still kind of uh, got a foot in that world, even though I'm not currently um, actively working uh, within uh, archaeology. I am taking a little bit of, uh, of a hiatus from doing uh, field work and professional work to um, do this uh, big adventure that I have planned that I'll actually be starting in a couple of weeks as of the recording of uh, this episode. And I'm going to um, be doing a through hike through uh, my home state of Michigan. And uh, I'm actually doing this uh, to raise money for a nonprofit that helps veterans through field archaeology. They're called... They're called American Veterans Archaeological Recovery, or AVAR for short. And what they do is they take wounded veterans, you know, regular veterans, active duty personnel, and mm-hmm. they take them to archaeological dig sites uh, around the world. And you know, this does a number of things uh, for veterans. I mean, you know, you've had the chance to connect with uh, some veterans uh, um, along the way as well, oh, yeah. and you probably might have picked up some of the things that many veterans uh, might be dealing with. You know, especially veterans, let's say, who are just recently transitioning from the military you know there's um sometimes the loss of connection you know veterans while they're on active duty they're part of this tribe of warriors and you know once they separate they're no longer um with like uh their brothers and sisters that they've uh you know formed bonds with uh through that hard lifestyle that they all share you know and sometimes they'll return home to, let's say maybe where they were before and it's hard to find people that can relate to what it is they they'd went through especially those who may be like combat veterans and so this gives them a chance to connect uh, with other veterans and get them working together on these archaeological dig sites and then um, this also gives them a new mission because again yeah, another thing that a shared many, purpose. yeah a shared purpose exactly because what once they're on active duty They know what their mission is. It's very clear to them. But then, you know, once they uh, separate and there's not like um, a mission in front of them that they can go and tackle on, you know, sometimes this could lead many veterans uh, to go astray. Mm -hmm. And so uh, this will give them a new mission. You know, they spent like uh, their time in the military, you know, protecting um, our freedom and our way of life. But this gives them a chance to protect cultural heritage through uh, Mm -hmm. field archaeology. And then, of course, this also avar tries to set their uh dig participants up for success too you know this isn't one of those things where hey just come do this uh dig for a few weeks have a little bit of fun and then we'll just drop you right off uh, exactly where you left off yeah you know it's like they they do want to try to give them like some direction as to where they're going to go from there whether that's like You know, if they want to go pursue like uh, a different kind of career path, you know, at least they have like someone they can list on a resume or maybe, you know, those who are on like the dig sites or those other veterans that they have connected with, maybe they can get like some leads on some potential uh, opportunities to go from from there. Or if they really like the dig and they think maybe archaeology is something that they may want to pursue like as a career, well, Hey, you just uh, got some dig experience and some field experience under yeah. your belt. And again, you also began networking with some, uh, you know, professional archaeologists uh, out on the dig with you that, you know, can maybe put in a good word for you or at the very least, least uh, leave themselves um, available to questions if uh, you know you need any guidance, you know going forward uh, in archaeology. So a lot of amazing uh, opportunities. And then of course, um, one, you know, going along with the, the theme of uh, this podcast is, there's the adventure aspect because U.S. veterans through Avar have gone all over the world. Um, the, like some of the recent dig sites that they just wrapped up, one of them was in Saratoga in New York, which is a Revolutionary War site. Oh, and cool. they just wrapped up a dig in the south of England where veterans uh, were trying to uncover the remains of a B-24 Liberator bomber plane that crashed during World War II. Wow. Yeah. So really amazing opportunities like that. And I think next, uh, where Avar is looking to go to, it looks like they're going to Sicily. So, uh, so they're taking people, they're taking veterans to some pretty amazing locations. So lots of great opportunities for veterans. And, um, that's why I wanted to do this trek to raise money for Avar because, I, I myself was a participant in the past. Uh, I had a chance to, uh, be on a dig, uh, when I was going for my master's degree in England on a dig that Avar was, uh, working with. And so I was able to kind of get my foot into the door that way too, and get some much needed field experience under my belt. So, um, so that's why I chose this organization in the end to, uh, turn back and try to raise money for with, uh, this truck through Michigan.
1: That's cool. I, so many questions coming up. of oh. Like what? What is it? so for those of us who only know what archaeologist is from Indiana Jones? Like, what really is that experience like, and and what um, impact does it have on you personally going through these these digs?
0: Yeah, unfortunately, archaeology isn't quite that exciting. You know, I'm not uh, battling with the forces of evil. I'm not making it through all these ancient tombs and temples. You know, finding these like magnificent single uh, artifacts. It's um. Uh, A little bit more boring than that? Well, I guess that really depends on how you uh, frame it. It can be uh, very exciting at the same time, albeit a little bit tedious. You know, archaeology is very much a scientific field. The methods that we employ in the field are very deliberate and intentional and systematic. And when we dig for artifacts it's not quite as simple as us just sticking a shovel in the ground and just hauling dirt. I mean, sometimes that it could call for that, but more often than not, that's not really the case. We go down um, a little bit at a time, we typically cordon off, let's say, maybe like a one meter by one meter square or maybe a one meter by two meter rectangle. And then we'll go down maybe about 10 centimeters at a time and we'll record what we will what we find. We look for artifacts there. And then once we are satisfied that we pretty much got everything we needed at that level, we'll take it down another 10 centimeters and repeat the process, record what we find. And the, what that does for us is it kind of creates a little bit more of what we call context, because typically... Typically, whatever you find closest to the surface is usually going to be uh, newer than that uh, what gets lower. You know, landscapes, they change over time. Things get worked around. Um, you know, some people can inhabit in an area, leave, and then maybe a couple hundred years later, some new people will come and inhabit the area, and they push pretty much everything that was there before them down. So the deeper you go, the older the stuff is. So it's pretty exciting in that regard because... You are like the first person to hold these artifacts in perhaps hundreds or maybe even thousands of years. And to me, that's really exciting. And it's just a little bit magical, I suppose I would say. And I'll just give you a couple of examples of some of the artifacts that I found when I was uh, in England studying for my master's degree. I unearthed a piece of pottery called crambeck Ware. now crambeck Ware pottery, it dates all the way back to the Romans in England. So we're talking that this shirt of pottery is, has been in the ground for almost 2000 years until I found it. So I'm the first person to hold it. And for that long too. And also another exciting thing that I found, and this is a little bit closer to home. This is in uh, New Mexico. I found a, uh, Projectile point, at least that's what we call it in scientifically in archaeology, but many people would refer to it as an arrowhead. And it was made out of obsidian stone. Ooh. And obsidian. Um, now, any uh, game of Thrones fans out there would know <laughs> that obsidian is dragon glass. you can use it to kill the white Walker. <laughs> so. And uh, but in in this particular area, though, um, there was obsidian, but it wasn't quite as commonly used as other pieces of stone that people of the time, you know, a few thousand years ago would use to make tools with. So to find a projectile point out of obsidian, when pretty much like the hundreds of other like uh, rock flakes that I would find out there were made of a different type of material besides obsidian. That was really special to me because that was a rare find. Mm. So that's really just kind of what I really take away from archeology span is just uh, you know, the fact that I'm unearthing these things, I'm seeing things that most people will probably never see because yeah. we get pretty remote in some of these locations, Dan, let me tell you. Um, One of my last uh, field exercises that I actually led was uh, in Big Cypress National Preserve in South Florida. And we had to go to archaeological sites that were so remote that we actually had to take a helicopter to them because they were too deep into the swamp to access via swamp buggy or airboat. So, So we had to take the helicopters. And then you land... You know, there's not very many good LZs there. Sometimes you, they have to land the helicopter in water, and then um, you know you jump out of the helicopter, and immediately you're up to your knees in water. You can you can hear you can hear you can hear alligators in the distance. I mean, I don't know if a lot of people know that, but alligators actually do make a sound. And so, uh, and so once you learn to recognize the sound of the alligators, you know, to give that area a wide berth because (laughs) those, those guys can hide. Let me tell you. (laughs) So, but yeah, that's really just been some of the most exciting things, just the adventure aspect of it. I mean, I literally got paid to just be slug it out in the wilderness and find things that have been lost to the world for like hundreds, maybe even thousands of years. So definitely a very rewarding, rewarding career. If you look at it that way, I mean, I'm still not punching bad guys in the face, but Hey, still doing some cool stuff nonetheless.
1: Yeah. Well uh, it's a little bit, a little bit better for your longevity as a, uh, you know, Harrison Ford is kind of proving to us, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> when you're 70, you probably shouldn't be playing Indiana Jones
0: yeah i mean i wonder yeah if he's gonna do his uh i heard they were doing another movie and i guess They're he's supposed to, and he he's is, supposed to be doing his own stunts if i recall injured
1: himself twice oh already.
0: wow yeah i didn't hear about that mm, dang <laughs> so, yeah yeah well originally i thought the next indiana jones movie, uh, movie was going to be like a prequel of sorts like they were going to maybe have like I don't know, like Chris Pratt or someone like that, play like a younger yeah, Indiana Jones you from like, think. like earlier in the timeline. I mean, I, I would think that would, you know, make a, you know, be a good move, but yeah. Uh, I mean, knows. he
1: was kind of passing the torch to Shia LaBeouf and you know, the fourth one. So anyway, yeah. I, don't know. I recently rewatched that and it wasn't as bad as I remembered it.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. the fourth one certainly wasn't uh, my favorite. If I had to rank the movies, I would say probably, um, well, Raiders of the Lost Ark and the Last Crusade, I think, are tied for number one. Oh, yeah. And then I would probably also tie the Temple of Doom and uh, Kingdom and the Crystal Skull as dead last. Uh, yes, just as there well you go. Too. You got
1: two firsts and two dead last. Yeah. Well,
0: well, I guess I'll say, well, one of the things I liked about the second one. And it kind of rubbed a lot of people the wrong way at the time. But if you remember like in the second one, it was a little bit more dark and a little bit oh, more yeah. gritty than like the other ones. I mean, you got like this ritualistic thing happening where a dude's getting his heart ripped out and it's getting set on fire. And then you got these people beating slaves. And, uh, and also even if you just look at Indiana Jones, it's like, uh, you know, his clothes are in tattered, he's bloodied up, he's beaten up and where it's like at the end of kingdom of the crystal skull, like he looks like he just got out of the shower at the right. end of the movie. <laughs> you know? yeah. So anyway, yeah, just a little bit of a side thing there. We can really go deep down in the rabbit hole, criticizing and, you know, yeah. up and praising um, aspects of those films, but uh yeah, you know, for sure.
1: <laughs> so um, in addition to your archeology, you're, you're big into, it sounds like Kind of long hikes getting out into the wilderness for extended periods of time like how important is that to especially us as men to do these kind of harder things to you know maybe set aside our careers for a period of time and to go and test ourselves like that
0: well, I say for me, and I think there's some science to back this up um, too. But I mean, I don't have any uh, research or data in front of me. So, but I'm just going to kind of sort of like summarize here, and I'm sure you know people can go and uh, look this up a little bit more depth. But I think that the importance of you know us, especially if you're referring to um, like talking about men in this case. Is that I think it's biologically hard, hardwired into us to go out and do that. Because if you want to look back like hundreds and thousands of years, you know, men, we have it in us to uh, be a little bit more adventurous, a little bit more um, into taking risks. And, uh, and also you can know that on average, uh, men are physically stronger than women too. And that's not, it's not, of course, to say that all men are stronger than all right. women, yeah. but you know, most men are stronger uh, than most women. And that is because for all intents and purposes, and you know, I hope this doesn't rub people the wrong way, but men for the most part are expendable in the regards that like uh, for the whole continuity of our species, we kind of are like, if a couple thousand men go off to battle and and die on the battlefield, the continuity of our, of the human species on this planet is not really going to be in jeopardy from that. But if we were to lose that uh, same number of women, that could really be called uh, into question because so the pretty much like, you know, the, Half of the human species that uh, cannot bring life into this planet is physically and and wired physically built and wired to protect the side of the species uh, that that can, and so that's why you hit, hear a lot about mostly men are the ones that are off exceed, seeking adventure, trying to track down a big animal to kill to bring it back so the tribe can have uh, you know b- big meals to eat for a good while, and so. When I think about, uh, especially now in the modern day, where, you know, a lot of us are living these very sedentary lives, you know, we're just working in offices or, you know, we're working in one location for eight to 10 hours a day, you know, five, six, hell, even seven days a week for some, in some instances uh, too, and getting back out into nature and immersing yourself in the wild, I pretty much just say that's just getting back to the basics. That's just the way we've uh, done it for hundreds of thousands of years until we kind of modernize ourselves, and more or less just kind of went against the grain who we're, who we really are and kind of what we're supposed to naturally be doing, you know, and it's just, uh, and quite frankly, in this day and age, we got it pretty dang easy. I mean, and all that sort of stuff, it's all optional, basically. It's just like, you could be like, you, you don't have to be in like, the greatest of shape, or you don't have to be strong, fit, capable, masculine or anything like that. And you could still have, you can have a pretty reasonable chance of survival in this day and age. You know, that's just the way we've done it. But then um, you kind of tie that into many other problems though, that we see, especially amongst men in these days, especially from like high rates of suicide, depression, you know, substance abuse, and you know, the list goes on. And that's why you kind of see a big rise in a lot of these challenging events like Spartan races. And, you know, you and I, before we hit record here, we talked about like Kikoro camp for seal fit and ultra marathons and, and everything uh, like that is just, it's a very interesting phenomenon to see like that many people willingly wanting to pay, pay their hard-earned money, maybe commit vacation time to go and, uh, and suffer. It's like, uh, you know, and, but they see, the immense amount of growth that comes from completing an endeavor like that. And also, if you want to think of also, if you just want to think about like what stories are most people excited to share with others, it's the stories where they were put in through and through some sort of trying ordeal and came out the other side. And whether that's like a crazy story traveling or a potentially dangerous, precarious situation that they were in, that they've lived through, those are the types of stories that they like to tell. Like, and that's the types of stories that quite frankly, other people like to hear. Like, you don't want to watch a movie where the main character just skated through the whole movie, didn't, and the experience, no struggle and everything with sunshine and rainbows. You know, that's not exciting.
1: Yeah. No, it's like listening to a podcast this morning. I don't know if you've listened to this show before, uh, and son's. Um, it's, uh, Sam and Blaine Eldridge, um, John Eldridge's older, two boys. Mm, And this episode, they had Alan Arnold on there. And he was talking about that very same thing about the, the most compelling stories are the ones where, you know, the character goes off the, the stereotypical hero's journey. You know, they go off on this journey of discovery and they go through some trials and suffering and they come back a different person you know, we don't watch movies about guys sitting on a couch eating potato chips on his phone. No, like that would be boring, but all too many of us are the, you know, myself included, right. Most of the, a lot of times would be, would rather live our lives as that second guy than the first, we would rather live our lives. You know, we get, get done with work at five, we crack open a beer and hang out on the couch for the, for the evening. And, please don't require event me anything of me family we would rather have that than engage with their kids engage with our wives engage with our surroundings and and the wilderness and go and have mastery and dominion over our kingdoms and expand them through exploration
0: yeah absolutely and um you know and and again i'm Every now and then, yes. You know, I kind of like the nights where maybe I just uh, grab some chips and salsa, maybe find a good movie. You know, uh, on one of the many streaming services. You know that we have. <laughs> I mean, I'd say there is a time and a place for that. But yeah. you know, it's just one of the things that I heard recently, and I can't remember who I heard this from. Quite honestly, I don't know like where I get half the stuff uh, that I hear. But uh, <laughs> someone once posed the question, "What price would you pay to get that back?" Meaning mm. that, like. When we do, like with a lot of stuff that we were talking about that many people are doing, you know, just sitting on the couch eating potato chips, mindlessly playing video games or scrolling through uh, social media or arguing with complete strangers over those platforms in a way that's not really going to accomplish anything. The question would be when when it's all said and done, when you've reached the end of your life, you're on your deathbed how much would you pay to get the time back where you were doing those things? Like how much would you pay for another day of just sitting on the couch yeah. eating junk food, or how much would you pay for a few more hours to fight with people on uh, social media? You know, I, there's, I would say, well, nothing. Cause I wouldn't want to do that, but what I would pay a hell of a lot of money for would be to play with my nephew for another afternoon would be to go hike. Like another trail would be to team up with a bunch of other, you know, uh, willing participants to go crush like a Spartan race or something like that, or to jump out of a plane and do a skydive. I would pay a hell of a lot of money to do that. Those types of things again, but I would not want to pay a dime to like, uh, you know, again, just mindlessly scroll through, through social media, just to sit on the couch and just do nothing. I mean, those things in the end aren't like uh, fulfilling. And uh, an- another saying that kind of goes along with this is hell is meeting the person at the end of your life that you could have been while you were alive. Yeah. And so it's just, when I think about it that way, I mean, quite frankly, that scares the ever loving shit out of me, Dan. And, and it scares me much more than, you know, the thought of like, maybe even getting a little bit dinged up on an adventure, or again, maybe reg- getting rejected. If I let's say, ask a woman on a day, or if I ask for a boss for a promotion, or if I apply for that job, that school program, you know, fill in the blank, basically, yeah. it's just, you know, the fear of being at the end of the road and having to look back on my life and say, ask myself, what if that terrifies me much more than any of those things.
1: Yeah. And what, what I hope, people are taken away from this is not that we need to live a life of recklessness and you know, live on the edge or anything. We, we need to measure these risks with, is it worth the story that's going to come out of it? Right. right. You know, I actually did this recently. If uh, I decommitted from a GORUCK event that I was really excited about because it wasn't going to be worth the story. It's like it, I was gonna be spending too much time away from my family and it was a high likelihood i was gonna get injured given where i was physically at the time and i was like yeah, it's really just not worth it for me right now and so sometimes it does mean you know spending a, maybe even a season of, of rest and recovery rather than adventure but it doesn't give you know give us carte blanche to be soft right
0: right yeah, you know, and, and that's that's a really good point. Yes, you do got a uh, sort of it's a dichotomy, you know, there's yeah. a dichotomy where it's like you want to seek some risk, but within reason and, um, you know, uh, measured uh, risk as well. I mean, one of the things that I see a lot of people do is, uh, you know, they do this thing where they go up to Buffalo and Yellowstone and they try to take a selfie or feed the animals. Okay, that's just that's just ridiculous. Yeah, that's reckless. I mean, like that's just reckless, and that is like ridiculous. I mean, it's and just, damaging to the
1: environment.
0: Exa- exactly, it's just you can um, definitely appreciate animals like that uh, from a distance, you know. Because I mean, you would not like it if someone comes up to you randomly and just starts shoving food in your face that you don't want, you know. Right. <laughs> so, and anyway, yeah, well, that's another whole rabbit hole that we could uh, we can go down there too. But yes, it's just. Definitely like risk, taking risks, that's um, pretty much the epitome of what it means to adventure. Like risk is woven into the definition um, for adventure uh, just as well too. And so it's one of those things, yes, you got to be, you know, careful um, to an extent. Eh, I'd say, yeah, to a pretty good extent. Yeah, you, you do want to be careful. But, you know, you also want to kind of prepare yourself uh, too accordingly uh, as well. Like uh, with this yeah. upcoming through hike that I have. Uh, through Michigan, which I'm sure we'll probably talk about here uh, before too long, you know, I'm putting a lot of work into preparations. I'm putting a lot of work into making sure I understand my route. I'm putting a lot of work into making sure I have all the equipment that I need, uh, setting up the logistics so I can get food. And, um, you know, also setting up uh, a lot of logistics and, and admin stuff just to make sure that I know you know, where the, where the hospitals, if I needed to go to the hospitals, and and then, and then, and also making sure, um, where, where are the areas where I'll have the most cell phone coverage and setting up points of contact, you know, and those are all things that are going to mitigate risks that I'll face on uh, face out there. But of course, you know, we also have to understand, and this is pretty much the same case for anything else in the world is we're not going to eliminate risk. No, that's, it's impossible to eliminate risk you know, you just got to kind of look at the risks involved with doing certain things and then just judge the situation accordingly as to whether or not you're going to execute on the thing that you want to do, or maybe uh, detach for a moment and uh, reevaluate and see if you can come up with a uh, new plan of attack.
1: Yeah. I, I like how you, you talk about that. And this is actually something we're developing as a team from uh, some of the things that I teach on in the SEAL team leader space around planning. And how you can actually go about some of these bigger adventures like the through hike through Michigan or or our friend Jocelyn doing the through hike of the, of the AT Um, you know, having the end in mind and not just my end goal is to do this through hike, but it's, I want to feel this way when I'm done with this, I want to produce this emotional environment for myself and that you can still do, even though you may not complete the full through hike. You may just do it as part of your preparation and, and the journey. And that way, even if you get injured and, and have to get off the trail, you've still done what you set out to do. And putting that as your forefront of your planning, then directs the rest of your courses of action, putting together those plans. And then as, as you alluded to, like, hey, how do we avoid some of these risks in the first place? How do we mitigate the effects and make them not hurt so bad? And then put backup plans in place like, looking at the hospitals and points of contact and drop points for supplies and all that kind of thing. So that you set yourself up to accomplish that desired end state uh, and produce those emotions that you're looking for at the end.
0: Yeah. You know, Michelangelo once said that the danger in life is uh, not setting your goal too high and not being able to reach it, but it's in fact setting your goal goal too low and being able to reach it. Like for this through hike in Michigan um, that I'm calling operation Wolverine walk, it's 1200 mm. miles long, just about. And, uh, that's a pretty like, you know, ambitious, uh, goal. Yeah. it's, it's something that I've never like, uh, had done before. So, um, this go going along with it. Yes, there is the possibility that, you know, I could get hurt, you know, that that's always the possibility, especially like up in the upper peninsula, you know, they got wolves almost to the point where I think they're going to be issuing out tags for hunters before wow. too long. Cause I think they're You know, the population is kind of uh, growing up there. I don't know that, too. In fact, I've only kind of heard rumors amongst hunters I know. And then there's also a small population of black bears, even though the attacks and deaths from black bears are quite rare. Same thing with cougars uh, in that area, too. But the risk is uh, very much uh, there. So it's the um, so there is a possibility that something can happen. But let's say I do get hurt or let's say something goes wrong and I have to step off the trail for a time. And I'm going to do exactly like what you just mentioned is, yeah, I'll detach for for a little bit to see what went wrong under and take ownership of the fact that, you know, this thing went wrong or I failed or whatever the case uh, may be and then find my, uh, try to learn from that experience so I can get back out there and continue to be successful. Yeah. And cause here's the kind of the way I sort of like, uh, look at this. And I don't know how many people think to look at this before it's and it, how we word these words, certain things. And the words that even come out of our mouth in many different instances, they can hold a lot of power over Absolutely. you like, for, for instance, like, I don't want to say if I complete this expedition, I say, when, I complete this expedition. And when I say when I'm going to complete this expedition, I've already solidified the fact that I've done it. Now I just got to do the work involved to to make it there. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And taking that the next step is like, okay, when, when you've done it, like what opportunity is that going to open up for you in life?
0: Right. Well, yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to say, you know, I haven't, <laughs> you know, I was actually asked um, uh, this earlier today, like, uh, what do I plan to do uh, once this uh, expedition's uh, completed? And, you know, frankly, I haven't really, you know, made up my mind uh, just yet, mostly just because um, I feel that I could come up with a, a plan now but I have a feeling that three to four months of being in the wilderness is just going to produce so much clarity for me that I going.
1: that's what I was going for. It's not necessarily something you can plan for, but like when you crush this, this is going to open up some sort of opportunity in life that when you're enjoying that opportunity, this is, this is some one of the systems that I coach people on. I just mm. love going through this process here. Yeah. Of, it opens up opportunities in life. And when you are enjoying that opportunity, there's going to be measurable effects that come from that, that are positive. And then you're going to have some positive emotions that come out of that, that will drive you to positive actions. So it sounds like some of the things that I heard there was, you know, this is going to help you have clarity on what's next for you. You're going to be able to execute on it better. You're going to feel, you know, fulfilled and, and confident, and then that'll drive you to some, some action.
0: Right. You know, I think it was, um, it was Grant Cardone who said, I'm doing a lot of name dropping here, but he said the best time to seek out another sale is after you made a sale because you, you play off of those wins and you mm-hmm. just keep stacking more wins. Yeah, And so, yes, um, this, me completing this expedition is going to be a huge win. And then, so I know right away, I'm going to, whatever I decide to do is just, I'm going to be, uh, looking to, for, for another win, you know, whether that's, uh, me, You know, going back into archaeology, whether that means me, I don't know, doing something uh, entirely. I'm going to be going for another win because I just, you know, had this uh, other win, and so that's just kind of what the compounding effect is, and that can go in both directions too. Sure, you know, you could use that you could use that effect to stack wins. But unfortunately, sometimes I see some people use it to stack losses and they go uh, down a downward spiral. yeah,
1: so, exactly It's
0: just, yeah, yeah, you just got to seek to win and then you can keep stacking more wins on top of each other,
1: yeah, hey, something else that we we talked about off air before we got recorded tonight was this this guy Robert Owens, which if you're listening to this, his episode will have been out before this one, and go back and listen to it if you haven't. Um, but what he talks about is he does these crazy adventures. so, he can get in the room with people and, and give his message. Like he's, he's, he does the Iron Man's, the Kokoro camp, the, you know, seven marathons and seven continents in seven days, all that crazy stuff. So that he has the credentials to get into any room that he wants. And then, then he's able to tell his story. Then he's able to tell what really matters to him. And so, you know, same for you of getting this through height. Completed. And maybe that next win will give you that uh, credential that, that, uh, you know, reason that people should listen to you for whatever change you want to make in the world.
0: And I also think a great thing um, about that is just the networking opportunities that it go that works uh, for me as well, too, because, well, for one, like kind of like what you said, having this story to tell, it also connects you with winners, And those are the types of people that you um, always want to surround yourself with. You want to surround yourself with uh, like uh, people that you're crushing it. You know, there's that saying that, you know, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Mm -hmm. And then, so it's like, you want the people that, you know, you invest your time and emotional and, uh, you know, intellectual properties with you want to make sure that you get big turn returns on those investments and how you do that is you connect yourself uh, with winners. And of course, you know, this can mean like, you know, various, various things. Um, Of course. I mean, you know, it's just, I got like one of my best friends, um, you know, he may not be winning it in the way of world travel and adventure like I have, but he is absolutely crushing it as a father, as like um, a a homeowner, he owns a beautiful property. You know, he raises chickens and, you know, has like nice gardens. He's very self-sufficient. That's a winner in my book right there and that's definitely the type of uh you know man that I want to align myself with. Yeah. And so yeah that's that's really what what you know I think opportunities like this do is they just they just connect you with other people like who are winners you know it's just you know iron sharpens iron you know.
1: Absolutely. Um as we kind of round third for home here like is there either a, a phrase or a concept or or some sort of message that like if you could put a billboard up and everybody in the world would read it? What would you put on that? What's the thing that when you're around those winners after you've you've completed this next adventure that you want everybody to know?
0: Well, the first thing that comes to mind uh, when you ask that, unfortunately, I didn't create this. um, So it's not original, but it's um, one of my favorite quotes. Yeah, it's one of my favorite quotes of all time. And it was said by the late, great Bruce Lee. He said, the key to immortality is first living a life worth remembering. Hmm. And, and so and, and that that's that's really and it goes back to what we talked about earlier is that, you know, on on your deathbed, if you could look back on your life and say, man, that was a hell of a ride. Then, hmm. you know, you, you know that you've achieved immortality at that point.
1: One of my favorite movies, the, uh, the last samurai. Have you seen that one. Mm-hmm. Sure did. It, that last scene. Spoiler alert. I mean, it's an 18-year-old movie. Yeah, a spoiler yeah, Spoiler alert for yeah,
0: that be. old of a film. You've yeah. had your
1: chance. But <laughs> so, you know, Captain Algren is kneeling before the Emperor with Katsumoto's sword, and the emperor asks, How did how did he die for any Katsumoto? He goes, I'll tell you how he lived. It just gets me every time. I break down crying every time. Just, just the same thing that you said. You know, if you live a life worth living, it's going to inspire others. To do the same.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's definitely something that I carry with me. I mean, yeah, every single time I hear that quote, read that quote, or, or whatever, it just uh, gives me goosebumps. And sometimes, and it serves as, it can also serve as a bit of a stern reminder. Should I find myself just like, you know, wasting time, either like I said, scrolling through social media or, or whatever else, it's one of those things that kind of just like snaps me back into attention and just says, what are you doing, man? Come on. You know, there's a world out there um, that needs exploring. So get out there, man.
1: (laughs) That's good. So um, where can people follow along with your adventures and connect with you as you get going on this through hike and the next one?
0: Yeah. So um, if you want to learn a little bit more about Operation Wolverine Walk, um, I am doing it to uh, help a nonprofit that helps veterans through uh, field archaeology. The nonprofit is uh, American Veterans Archaeological Recovery. And, you know, they're taking like uh, they're taking veterans um, all over the world. You know, they just wrapped up uh, a project in uh, England where they uh, recovered a B-24 Liberator bomber that went down in World War II. And yeah, really cool. And now they're getting ready to um, head over to Sicily to continue on another project. You know, lots of benefits that veterans are uh, gaining from participating on these digs. And also, I wanted to kind of do this uh, for them, too, because... uh, The uh, founder of the nonprofit, uh, Stephen Humphreys, uh, who's a former Air Force captain, uh, he was on the ground in England at at the same time I was there uh, studying for my master's degree. He was going for his PhD, but at a different university. And he invited me to come on a dig that he was uh, leading. And so he was able to give me some... uh, archaeological field experience right out of the gate, which served me pretty well as I came back stateside to uh, start my own career as an archaeologist. So that's why I wanted to do this expedition to help them because I've experienced benefits myself as a veteran, having participated in a dig that he led. And I know other veterans are going to benefit from it as well. If they get the opportunity to go be out on a dig. So that's why I'm raising money for uh, this nonprofit. So if you want to find out more information um, about it, you can head to my website, allaroundadventure.com slash Wolverine walk. And if you uh, want to make a donation uh, today, you can head to GoFund me.com slash Wolverine walk. And you can find um, some more more information about the trek there. And you can also uh, make a donation. And if I may, I also just want to throw out this um, about uh, donations is that I'm self financing the entire cost of uh, this expedition. So 100% of all donations that come in goes directly to uh, Avar to help veterans. I'm not going to be seeing any of this money. So I don't want people to get the, you know, idea that if they donate that they're going to help, you know, me do this Epic adventure or something like that. I've put a lot of uh, money aside um, to create a nest egg to where I can just kind of disappear for a few months and trek through the wilderness. Awesome. And so, um, and I did that deliberately because yeah, I don't want to see any of this money. I want it to go exactly where it's supposed to. So if you make a donation today, you can be rest assured that it's going to go directly towards helping
1: veterans through Avar. Great, man. I love that. And we'll be sure to post links to that in the show notes. And man, just really appreciate you. And I'm looking forward to seeing everything that uh, comes out of that that expedition and um, looking forward to learning more about Avar and maybe connecting some of my veteran buddies with that. I yep, think of a couple sure. that I may be sending that to. So. <laughs>
0: All right, right on. And um, oh, also, I almost forgot Like uh, my social media. Um, <laughs> I'm uh, most active on Instagram um, at All Around Adventure um, on Instagram. And uh, I do have a YouTube channel where I'll be uploading vlogs um, from uh, this expedition uh as well and uh, unfortunately i don't have enough subscribers to get like a custom url so i'm going to have to just send you the link to my uh channel and then just if you want to just like link it up uh, in the show notes yeah. uh, for our listeners but yeah i think uh instagram is going to be where i'm most active um on social media since it is the best platform for photos and videos so uh yeah you can find me there um at all around adventure
1: right on man thanks for being here really appreciate it and uh, can't wait to see some pictures from the trail when you get out there
0: uh, right on. Appreciate you having me, Dan.
1: Take care, buddy. Later. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of the Anthem of the Adventurer. Hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you follow along with all of our adventures on Instagram at the Anthem of the Adventurer and on our blog, Anthem of the Adventurer. Com. We'll have our monthly adventure challenges continuing into the new year, and we have just a few episodes left of the podcast before it takes a bit of a rest starting in 2022. So if you're listening to this in November and December of 2021, make sure that you sign up for all of our email updates so you don't miss a thing while the team and I write the book. So enjoy the last few episodes, sign up for all the email updates, and we'll see you out there.